0: You're listening to a podcast from West Wind
1: Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Good
0: morning. So I was trying to be a good parishioner and do the tattoo thing. So I was over in the corner here, getting ready to show off my tattoo. Um, it's a high-tech tattoo. It has a covering on it that you have to peel off first. So, if you haven't done your tattoo, just so you know, peel off the thing, then you can... How many of you did the tattoo with the cover on? That's what I thought. All right. So, Malachi uh, chapter 3, please. Just saying, that's how it is. Malachi 3. Tough topic this morning. I see some guests, and, uh, you know, it's one of those topics, when you go through the Bible, you just uh, sometimes have those... Topics that are a little bit more winsome and huggable. And then there's topics sometimes that just come right at you and uh, are hard. This one's hard. Uh, I took the title of the topic this morning straight from the text, so I didn't dream it up, but the title is this Are You Robbing God? And we're going to talk about what that means. So, pretty sobering topic. So, uh, a few months ago, I'm flying through Des Moines for Knoxville. And uh, checked in really well. I was thankful. Uh, Running a little bit late, so tried to squeeze in lunch before I went to the gate. Stopped in at a restaurant in Des Moines, and things were a little bit backed up. Uh, Staff issues, uh, as a lot of businesses are facing. And so I'm waiting, waiting. Sandwich salad wasn't coming. I needed to get to the gate. I said to the waitress, hey, just take my credit card. Check me out when you can. I just want to make sure I get to my gate on time. Well, she got me a sandwich, wolfed that baby down, checked out, head to the gate. Day later in Knoxville, American Express contacts me and said, "Uh, this is the fraud department, and uh, we just want to check in and see if uh, these expenditures are actual. Well, the company that uh, used my or was uh, charged uh, to my credit card was DoorDash. I've never used DoorDash before. I'm sure many of you have. But here's the interesting thing about this experience. Not only was there significant fraud, but it was to one company, DoorDash. 40 bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. And what I thought unique about that, I said, if you're gonna rip somebody's credit card off, why don't you go out and buy a motorcycle or a boat? I mean, do something cool, 10 bucks at DoorDash. But the second thing that I thought was interesting about that is Amex got on it fast. And so, boom, we contacted, cut the card, got a new card. They absorbed the, uh, uh, you know, expenses, and I was appreciative of that. It was only, what, $70, but that was pretty cool. But I came to find out that fraud globally is a $28 billion business today. I had no idea. How many of you have had an experience like that? We all have, right? It's just, just kind of part of our culture. How did you feel when you were ripped off? Now, 70 bucks doesn't get you know, your attention, especially when the credit card company covers it. But you feel a loss, right? You feel a sense of hurts. And this is ripping each other off this is kind of the horizontal ripping off think about the implications of the text that we're going to encounter today robbing from god and so if it's bad horizontally how much more so vertically in our love relationship with god through jesus christ so stand with me we'll read this passage Uh, Some of you are familiar with this. Some of you, it's going to be brand new, but hopefully it'll be a very clear talk. We'll understand the privilege we have to give to God and see his kingdom come. And so Malachi 3, we have three more weeks in Malachi, and so uh, we read these words. Since the days of your father, looking back, remembering, you have turned from my statues. You have not Kept them so what malachi is doing is drawing their attention to old testament giving practices generosity practices worship practices return to me and i'll return to you says the lord of hosts that's been the theme of malachi folks god's calling his people back to a covenant love relationship it's like a broken marriage and one party's saying, I'm all in. Please return. Let's renew this covenant love relationship. Return to me and I'll return to you. But notice, we've seen this before, right? Pretty arrogant, but you ask, how can we return? Well, then God gets very, very specific. If you want to know another area, this is one of many that you're falling off. Here's what... Uh, <clears throat> We read, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making the payments of the 10th, a tithe, and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. And again, God speaks collectively to the nation of Israel, but also becomes a very personal message as we're going to see next week. There was always a remnant in Israel, and we're going to talk about that remnant next week, the God-fearers, those who worship God, those who honor God, even in the midst of the mess. So what does God say? Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And this is a remarkable thing. We'll unpack this a little bit. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. And the word there in Hebrew is. I beg you to test my faithfulness. Again, it's a spouse pleading with a lover, please let me show you how faithful I am to this covenant love. That's the idea behind test me. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven, pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine and your field will not fall to produce will not fail to produce food says the lord of hosts and then the conclusion it's really cool then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land says the lord of hosts please be seated so again it's a question for all of us i have to ask these questions too as i prepare the message is keith missile robbing god so it's very personal i want to look in the mirror this isn't top-down stuff this is we do this truth together But again, think about the implications. When we get ripped off from each other, whether it's a credit card company, uh, once I was living in Cincinnati, a home got broken into, a lot of stuff got stolen, you feel violated. You feel horrible. Who was it? Was it a neighbor? Was it someone who just came in and looted the community? Regardless, any which way you look at it, we're violating One of the commandments, Exodus 20, 15, don't steal, don't be a thief, don't rob. Nobody here wants to get robbed from, right? It's just just bad. But how much more so robbing God? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Now, what's interesting about this waitress is, and again, I don't know who ultimately took my credit card information. I have a hunch because she had it for a little bit. Uh, she seemed kind, we talked a little bit, I was gracious, I didn't get my salad really, uh, tipped her well, and yet I couldn't see her heart. And if she was the one, ah, how sad that is. If it was a coworker, how sad it was that, you know, one of your co-workers did such a dastardly deed. But friends, here's the deal this morning, although we can't see each other's hearts, God can see our heart. He knows each and every one of us today who are living generously, who are honoring Him, or robbing Him? Let me show you that. Proverbs five twenty one: For a man's ways are before the Lord's eyes, and He considers all his paths. You know what I like about that? It's God honoring accountability. God sees our hearts. He knows our ways, and therefore we can't be fraudulent with Him. He knows. Now, that's sobering, right? But it's also good accountability. I don't know about you. I like Christian accountability. I like that God has holding us accountability to a standard that is fruitful and pleasing to him. And so, one of the questions I had to ask, uh, and we did discuss at an elders meeting this past week, is how are we doing as evangelicals? And so there's various denominations, of course, across America and the world. uh, But evangelical is a category that we probably would fit in. And we have a lot of data on evangelicals. I have some very good news, and I have some rather sobering news. Here's the good news. Evangelicals are generous people. And what that means is we contribute to God's work through the church, but also way beyond the church. To ministries that are nonprofits, to ministries like uh, Meals for the Heartland and so forth, crisis pregnancy centers. We give a lot. That's the good news. But boy, there's some sobering news. The sobering news is this last time I looked at data at any length was in 2007. Ellen booted up a really significant report, and I compared the 2007 to today, 15 years later. We have lost ground when it came when it comes to generosity. So I'll give you a few statistics. Number one: 13 percent of evangelicals tithe or are close to tithing. And what a tithe is and we'll talk about that today and where it comes from, and what the principle behind it is. It's just given a tenth of your income. Thirteen percent, folks, that's about 1.3 out of 10 pretty low. But here's the one that shocked me. 26% of people who attend churches like ours don't give at all. Is that sobering? Does that hurt you? I mean, that's challenging because Jesus said it is better to give than to receive because there's a blessing in giving. Gosh, some of that blessing, that joy, the fruit of giving is not being experienced in our life. So let's look at the problem all the way back 2,400 years ago. It's a significant problem then, as statistics bear out today. It's also a problem today. If you have your connect card, I want to encourage you, uh, jump in with notes. So the problem is this: it's really an issue of worship, folks. It's not an issue of money. Money is an act of worship. When we give, when we live generously, when we offer tithes and offerings, it's really a part of worship. And so principally and biblically, what what happens is when we rob God, we rob him of worship that is due his name. This is John chapter four, remember? Jesus says God pursues worshipers who worship him how? In spirit and in truth. The truth of God's word says, live generously. The spirit is your heart, your passion. We're robbing God of worship. Now, some of you might be new to the idea of tithing. So what I decided to do today was to take you back and see where it began. And tithing goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. We're talking 4,000 years ago. Remember Father Abraham? Okay? So track with me, and if you'd like to flip in your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 14. Let me show you the first recorded tithe in Scripture. And notice, if you're taking notes, this is very important, this predates the law of Moses. Okay? So here we are. After Abraham returned from defeating, and here's a great king's name, shador la More, And the kings who were with him, the kings of Sodom, went out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God Most High. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And I will give praise to God Most High, who has handed over your enemies to you. Then notice what Abram does. This is a remarkable thing. And by the way, uh, this king is king of Jerusalem. That's what we're talking about Salem, city of peace, Jerusalem. So it goes all the way back to 4,000 years ago. And notice, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So it begs the question why would Abram give this guy, Melchizedek, a tenth of all the spoil? Why would he honor him with 10% of his income, if you will? Well, Melchizedek, if you jump to the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 7, he is a representative of God. He is a priest serving the most high God. And so basically, Abraham is saying, I'm worshiping God, I'm honoring God by giving a tenth of my goods to the servant of God. His name is Melchizedek. There's another proof text to it. and We won't go there at length today. But the proof text is also found in Genesis 28. If you're familiar with the dream that Jacob had, again, another patriarch. So Jacob has this dream and and he's experiencing angels descending and ascending and he's encountering God and then he grabs hold of this thing that God's going to bless him and use him and he makes a promise in that blessing that he would tithe to God the lord and again folks why is that important genesis 14 genesis 28 it predates the law because here's the argument here's what people are going to generally say in the new testament hey we're not old testament people we're not part of the law really jesus came to fulfill the law nothing is going to pass away from the law the law doesn't save us but boy oh boy the law is perfect read psalm 19 read psalm 119 But this tithing predates anything in the law. So what does Moses do? What does God do? He incorporates tithing into the law as an act of worship and providing for the needs of his people, the priests and Levites who didn't have their own territory, providing for temple worship and ministry in the temple. So let me show you that. Leviticus 2730 states, The tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so God incorporated this beautiful practice of worship, of honor, of testifying of God's greatness into the law for many reasons. To make sure worship happened in the temple, to make sure God's servants were provided for, but ultimately to be an act of worship. When you do mission work overseas, what's really fun, you'll uh, be uh, in, in the midst of a worship service, let's say in Mali, West Africa, where people come out of Islam and into Christianity and they don't have jobs like we would have, they don't have currency like we would have. They'll bring grain, animals, sometimes they'll bring guinea fowl. And so you bring a couple guinea fowl to church as an offering and you give it to the leaders of the church. It's cool stuff. Now, they're noisy, it's weird, it gets bloody afterwards, you know? I prefer kind of, you know, whatever, the electronic, however we do it. That's, that's smoother in America. But it's just fun to see the different kind of offerings, even today, that take place. Africa, India, and places like that. And so it begs the question, We're New Testament folks. We've been saved by grace through faith. Yes, we're not saved through the law, but the law doesn't disappear. This beautiful practice of worshiping God through tithing doesn't necessarily dissipate, but there's a principle that I think is elevated in the Old Testament. Let me show it to you, and it's a beautiful principle. In Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, we read this. Notice the first three words. Honor the Lord. We're talking about worship. We're talking about standing in awe of God. We're talking about honoring God. How? With your wealth. With your wealth. With the resources He has blessed you with. But then notice the principle with the first fruits of all your crops. And then there's a promise. Then your barns will be filled overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. And so basically, the principle is beautiful, folks. God blesses us, right? We've been blessed, scripture says, with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, but that also includes our resources, our jobs, our incomes, our houses, our cars, et cetera, et cetera. And so God says, I've given you all this. What a privilege to honor the Lord with our wealth. What a privilege to say, God, you've given us so much, and I want to dedicate 10% as a starting point, first fruits to your kingdom, to your glory, to your work, to your worship. That's the principle. Now let me share with you a few other things as we jump to the New Testament. And this is remarkable, folks. The giving of one's first fruits is absolutely an act of worship. And so when you think about giving, don't think about, oh, I have to. This is a privilege. I want to. As you came this morning, we come to worship. We come to stand in awe. So think in terms of worship. But notice this. In the Bible, there's some key topics, right? Faith. There's about 500 verses in the Bible about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is. He'll reward those who diligently seek him. Faith's a big deal, 500 verses. We talk a lot at Westwood about being a house of prayer. There's about 500 verses on prayer. Guess how many verses there are on money, possessions, and wealth in Scripture? Four times that. Well over two thousand verses on money, possession, and wealth. Folks, just do the simple math. Repetition is key in the Bible. It's constantly there. Why? It's a real issue because worship is what we're saved for. Jesus, let me reinforce it, taught 38 parables. Do you realize half the parables have to do with money and wealth and possessions? One half of his parables, that should be striking. Someone has suggested, I haven't quantified this, but someone has suggested one out of 10 verses in the Gospels themselves deal with money and possessions. That's quite remarkable. And so I would suggest then the reason the Bible has so much to say about money, wealth, possessions, and worshiping God through giving is worship is foundational to who we are. We're working through core values as a staff right now we've been talking about that for the past three weeks. And uh, last week, as a staff, we said, okay, we're going to take our top five. Guess what our number one was? Worship. It all starts with coming to Westwind as a worshiper. That we as a staff team, as an elder team, first and foremost, are worshipers of the one true God. And as we worship, everything we do and become flows out of worship. What a blessing that is. All right, so that's the problem. What's the solution? There's two things that Malachi is very specific about. Again, God is speaking. Solution number one, turn back to God. Look at verse 7. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Notice this, folks. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask... How can we return? Again, one of the keys when you study the Bible, the Bible isn't that hard to understand. When you see repetition, you know it's there, okay? So solution, return. Do what you did in the past. That's exactly what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus. Return to your first love. Return to the practice of worship. Make worshiping God in spirit and truth foundational to who you are when you think about generosity. And so, going back to the great theme of Malachi, because God's love is a choosing love, a constant love, a faithful love, a generous love, a forgiving love, and an everlasting love, He invites all who sadly have compromised in this area to return to him. If you want the technical term in the Bible, it's called repentance. I'm going one way, self-centered way, and I want to turn and go God's way and honor him with our wealth. So God is relentless to restore and renew and strengthen this covenant love relationship that is broken. So when a first love relationship is jeopardized, whether it's between a husband and wife, Uh, or between us and our great god and savior god wants it to be renewed and so return come back and do the things he did at first Uh, martin luther the great reformer said this that uh, christians need three conversions in their lifetime let me show it to you the first conversion is the conversion of the heart that's when you put your faith and trust in christ that's when you say lord i'm a sinner I turn from my sin, I put my faith and trust in a Savior. God, according to Scripture, gives us a new heart. The second conversion is a conversion of the mind. This is having the mind of Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is Romans 12, 1 and 2, renewing the mind. Don't let the world put you into its mold, but think like Christ. You know what the third conversion is? And Luther got it right, the conversion of the wallet. Why did he say that so many hundred years ago, folks? I think because Luther knew his Bible, but he also knew his heart. We struggle. You know why we struggle to be generous? Money is security. Money can be power. It can provide status for us. And so there's so many things wrapped around this gift, this good thing. God says, I want to bless you. And he did Abram. You can read his story. But Abram says, I'm going to tithe. He blessed Jacob. Jacob said, I'm going to tithe. He blessed Israel. And now they're compromising. And he's calling them back to first things. When I think of someone who had a conversion of the wallet, if you know the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, it's a really cool story. It's at the end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus not only has a meal with a chief tax collector, you don't hang out with tax collectors, but he stayed at his house. He broke every social norm in that culture, right? And during that meal, here's what happens in Zacchaeus' life. Someone who was in love with money, here's what happens. Zacchaeus stood there and said to Jesus, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. What a remarkable conversion. He came to genuine faith in Christ. Jesus said this, today. salvation has come. right? Uh, The Son of Man came to seek and to save lost people, so he was saved. But something in the middle of that conversation not only got a hold of his heart, mind, but it got a hold of his wallets. And I'm going to pay back. I'm going to help poor people. And the people I ripped off, there's going to be restitution. That's a conversion of the wallet. That's where the money meets the road. And what a cool thing. Now, secondly, solution, test the faithfulness of God. And friends, this is a remarkable statement in the Bible. I wish I could give you kind of how powerful the Hebrew is. The Lord is really pleading with a lover who has drifted that's israel this is a covenant love relationship they've drifted and he's just pleading he says listen i love you so much put my love to the test isn't it remarkable that god would just stoop so low and humble himself like jesus did to to let us test him about his faithfulness some of you know what this test of, is like because you've uh, participated in the Capital Initiative. For those of you who are new to West Wind Church, about a year and a half ago, uh, God's people said yes to over a million dollars so we could have a beautiful space like this. The consultant we were working with who's just a friend of mine says, Keith, unbelievable generosity for, through the church your size. Just amazing what God has done. But you know what's cool? A year and a half into uh, the capital initiative, 400,000 came in to make the initial down payments. We are on pace halfway through the capital initiative, meaning if we continue like we're uh, doing right now, uh, we will finish the capital initiative on pace, and God will be honored, uh, the bills will be paid, and Bank Iowa will be really happy. And we, we know a few people from that bank, right? Just saying, Jim, Jim's like hiding behind a computer. Got nothing to do with this. No, but guys, here's the deal. Some of you were very generous. Some of you stepped out. And he says, you know what? It's it's hard to say yes, but we're going to give. Have you proven God faithful? Has he provided for all your needs according to his riches and glory? Can we ever really outgive God? That's really the question. And so thank you for being generous. Thank you for the beautiful space that God has provided through your generosity. Look at what's going to happen tonight with VBS. This place is so decked out. Kids will be here from our church, from the community, doing ministry, and we're thankful. So let's look at the results. Two results from the text. Result number one, God's blessing is poured out. Look at verses 10 through 11. And this is fun. There's some metaphors in this passage that are really important. So, look what God says See, if I would not open the floodgates of heaven. We don't see that metaphor elsewhere. Maybe an allusion to it one other time. But think about it. Heaven's vast, right? Can you imagine what it means to just open up the floodgates of heaven? Heaven's enormous. I mean, with this web telescope, I hope you've checked out some of the pictures. I mean, God opens up the heaven, and what's going to happen? He wants to flood us with blessing. That's what Malachi's saying. I'm just going to be factual on that. Without measure, I will rebuke the devourer uh, for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land or your vine in the field and not fall to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Now, some of you wondered, and one of the elders brought this up the other day, uh, is Malachi promoting what's called the prosperity gospel? You're probably familiar with that, right? All you have to do is give God ten, and he's going to give you at least a hundred, right? Give him a hundred, he's going to give you. But if you give him a thousand, man, it just, that's not what we're talking about. You know what we're talking about here, folks? It's what we see from Genesis to Revelation, We see that God is a benevolent God. We see that he's a good God. We see that he's a generous God. And that he just showers his people with blessing. That's what we see. In other words, we see that God wants to bless you, but there's a relationship in this covenant love. And part of God's blessing in your life and mine is predicated upon our faithfulness in giving. There's another principle here that's throughout both Testaments, and it's the principle found in uh, Corinthians. The Apostle Paul said this, it's a natural principle. It's a biblical uh, principle, but a natural law. Look what happens here, 2 Corinthians 9.6. Remember this, the Apostle Paul said, when he was encouraging the Corinthians to use the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty This wasn't prosperity gospel. These folks were broke as an example for giving. So he says, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. That's just a natural law. For those of you who farm, you understand what this means. Take your 100 or a 1,000 or 10,000 acres, sow the land. But so it generously, you're going to reap generously. It's a natural biblical law. That's what God's saying in Malachi. Now, some of you know I'm a city boy. I grew up in a city. So don't know a whole lot about farming. It's wonderful to live in Iowa and learn a few things. I love seeing the beautiful fields and the tractors and the equipment. It's just fun. We stopped in at the John Deere Museum in the Quad Cities. That was a cool experience. But when you grow up in a city, you don't understand a lot of these agrarian metaphors, Um, you know, sowing and reaping, you just have to do a little bit of homework. But my first encounter with farming was a garden in Cincinnati. We had about 12 by 20 plot that I made, took some timbers, put the soil in, planted the seed, and boy, did things grow. What was really cool is I didn't understand that you're supposed to space some things out, like 8 inches, 10 inches, 12 inches for the rhubarb or the tomatoes or the lettuce. So I just put in a lot of seed, and guess what happened? I got a lot of produce. I learned this principle of so generously, reap generously. One day I came out, I looked out on the garden, it looked like an Afro. I mean, it was just really cool. Just Yeah! And there was a lot there. That's the principle. God's saying, test me, because I'm benevolent, I'm generous, I'm good, and I want to bless you. But there is a partnership in this blessing. And so, uh, result number two, and this is beautiful how Malachi uh, closes here. God's glory will be made known. God's glory will be made known. Why do I say that? Look at verse 12. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you'll be delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Why does God come back to all the nations? Because that's been the theme of the Bible from day one. God is a God for all people. Genesis 12, right? Abram, one man, I'm going to choose you. Why? Through your seed, Jesus, all nations on earth will be blessed. God's taken them back. You're blessed to be a blessing. This is Ecclesiastes 14, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. God works. He blesses. Why? So we'll stand in awe of him. When you come back to the land and the land is fruitful, the land is productive, the nations are going to look around and say, wow, the God of Israel is for real. They're going to stand in awe of who? Not the people. They're going to stand in awe of God. This is the gospel, folks. Our generosity produces fruit for the kingdom and glory of God. That's how it works. What a joy, what a privilege we have to not only worship the Lord with our wealth, but to see his kingdom come through generosity. Let the nations stand in awe. Let the nations be glad. Let the gospel go forth from Waukee to Iowa, to North America, to the ends of the earth. That's what we're talking about. And so how do you wrap up a talk on God's generosity? Because truly that's what this is. I want to encourage you this morning. I know many of you don't even have a checkbook, right? Do you have a checkbook? Who uses checkbooks these days? A few of us. Oh, wow, even the young folks. Way to go. There is such a thing as checkbooks these days, huh? I want to encourage you to write three checks this morning. How many of you are interested? A couple of generous people down front. I want to encourage you to write three checks this morning. How many of you are interested? Isaac's like, I better nod my head. You'll think I'm a creep. No, I won't. But here's the encouragement. Ready? Three checks. Number one, the first one's a heart check. And what I mean by that is, really, guys, generosity, giving, worshiping God through giving is really about the heart. Can I show that to you? Look what Jesus said. He says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If money is our treasure, our heart's just going to be aligned with it. If God is our treasure, money's just going to be a vehicle to bless his name. It's really a heart check. It always starts there. Is it worship a matter of the heart? Worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Spirit is small s. That's our heart. That's our passion. That's our alignment. Doing a heart check. We had a family recently uh, uh, move out of state who participated in the capital initiative on the upfront, and then made a three year pledge. And they came to Pastor Jason and said, Hey, we're moving, but we want on our pledge. And they wrote a check to finish off the pledge. You know what that suggests to me? It's about Christ. Because sometimes we give because, well, we're here. We're in Hawaii. We're here at West Wind. And it's, you know, we're keeping it local. Here's what this couple was saying. We believe in Christ and worshiping God and being generous to his kingdom. Therefore, regardless if we live in this state or this country, we're going to fulfill our pledge. Man, we were just so encouraged. And so can I give you a verse from Proverbs? Guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Folks, I constantly have to do a heart check. I'm not above anyone in this room. This is where the rubber meets the road. When God consecrates our wallet, boy, he's got our hearts. So, check number one, that was, well, maybe that wasn't so easy. Heart check. The second one is a faith check. Why do I say that? Because giving generosity is a matter of faith. Do we believe, number one, God is worship when we give? Do we believe the nations can stand in awe when we're generous? I hope with all my heart we believe that. I heard a story about a pastor in Owasa, Oklahoma. He believed in tithing and generosity so much that he told his congregation, and I quote, he said, if you will agree to tithe for a whole year, and if you get to the end of that year and don't discover that your nine-tenths income went further, we will refund your money. Folks, I'll make that same promise to you. If you tithe for a year... You get to the end of the year and you don't conclude that the Lord has blessed you, the church in Owasa, Oklahoma will refund your money. We need a little levity, right? I believe this with all my heart. You know why? Let me share it with you. It's Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Do we believe that? if we do we wouldn't hold on so much it's just true right if we believe it we say lord you've blessed me here's yours i want to honor you i want to worship you I want to see your kingdom come one man prayed this before the offering when we used to take up an offering he said this and i quote lord no matter what we say or do here is what we really think of you there is some truth to that folks because ultimately giving generosity tithing is worship now finally we do a heart check we do a faith check that God will provide the third check is an income check I would be really uh, remiss if I didn't bring that to the forefront why because we're a blessed people here you know that right You can go online today if you want to see how wealthy you are. You can plug in your income to the global wealth calendar. I did that once. And, you know, pastors make a decent salary. I'm not suggesting I don't, but we're not over the top. I was in the top 2% of global income a few years ago. Top 2%, folks. It's remarkable how wealthy we are giving the global economic scene. So we've been blessed... Are we sharing that blessing and so we close with a verse and then a testimony proverbs 3 9 through 10 i want to come back to it because i think it really is the overarching principle from the old testament honor the lord how with your wealth how with the first fruits of your crop greg and cheryl arganbright are just a beautiful couple many of you know elder and wife, and uh, been in Christ uh, since his teenage years. We're going to close this talk with a few minutes hearing from them, and then uh, we'll worship together.
1: Hi, we're Greg and Cheryl Argenbright. We wanted to tell a little bit of our story about learning how to give back to God. In particular, uh, when it comes to finances. Cheryl and I were talking the other day about the fact when we were 20-something, probably late 20s, we had two or three little boys. We were living at Willowbrook Bible Camp, giving our time to the Lord's work, reaching kids with the gospel. But it occurred to us one day that uh, try as we might, we never seemed to have money left at the end of the month to give to the local church we were part of we determined that maybe we could give to the lord first and see what happened took a big step of faith um, but uh, knowing that we needed to take that step of faith according to scripture That the Lord had given to us and we needed to give back to him. So we were used to getting to the end of the month and having no money left over to give to the Lord. This time we gave to the Lord first and we got to the end of the month and our bills were paid. And God showed us that we could trust him. We could obey him in giving to him first, and he would take care of the rest of our needs. We've kept that going all through the years and learned that we could even expand what we were giving to the Lord uh, from what we decided was a starting place of around 10%. That's what tithe means. And at first, we're like, well, 10% of our net. Then it's, well, how about if we did 10% of our gross? And from there, the Lord just continued to lead us and show us that He could bless us when we honored Him by giving from our first fruits, in particular in the area of finances.
0: As you can see, they didn't really have the script ready. (laughs) We did three and a half takes and I kept reviewing the ones I wanted to show. That was my uh, favorite one, so. uh, What a beautiful story. And in some ways, they did test the Lord, right? I don't think that was the point of their uh, decision, but they just wanted to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. So let's stand together, let's worship, let's, uh, you know, In spirit and in truth, let's stand in awe of God. He's blessed us so much through Jesus Christ, our Lord.